Raised to Walk Podcast, Episode 19. Welcome to the Raised to Walk Podcast, where we're walking out the life of faith. Romans 6, verse 4 reads, As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And this show is designed to help you do just that. Now here's your host, Carla Alvarez. and thank you for joining the Raised to Walk podcast. So we're coming up on the time of Passover and Passover is viewed differently by different people. If you are Jewish, it's one of the main holy feasts that is observed whether you are particularly observant or not. It's part of your cultural identity. If you are a Christian, it may be several things. You may know it from the Exodus story from Sunday school, or you may be familiar with how often it is a part of the account of Jesus's ministry in the New Testament. If you are into biblical prophecy, both those fulfilled and those yet to come, you see it as one of God's appointed times and Passover and the surrounding feasts were all fulfilled through Jesus's death. He was, he was killed at the same time as the slaughtering of this sacrificial lamb for Passover his resurrection on first fruits, and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Shavuot and Pentecost. I've seen it as all these things, but through a convergence of events, this year I realized, really, really realized that it's also about deliverance. So what is Passover? We all respond to a good story. While screenwriters use actors and events from imagination to tell a story, God uses his creation, both the world around us and individuals in specific times and specific places with supernatural precision to speak to us. He made us so he knows how to reach us. Dry facts and information just won't cut it, so he creates works through the people he made in his image, even with all our messes and screw-ups, to show us he loves us. He has a plan for us. He is working to deliver us and to stand firm and believe in the promises he has given us. And then he tells us to remember it, to recount it, to mark and remember the day so we don't forget his goodness. So where does this story start? In Genesis chapter 17, God made a promise to Abraham that he would give him the land of Canaan, but not yet because the sins of the Canaanite were not yet great enough for judgment. His covenant was reaffirmed with Isaac and then his son Jacob. When a devastating famine hit the land of Canaan and Jacob and the eleven sons who were with him were wondering what to do, God had already moved Joseph, the son Jacob had thought was lost, into a position of authority in the land of Egypt where provisions were already in place waiting for them. And that's recounted in Genesis chapter 41 in verses 37 through 53. They were able to go and walk right into the blessing, even though by the account, after all, the brothers had sold Joseph into slavery, they didn't deserve it. And this is in Genesis 37, 18 through 36. And then they stayed there for 430 years. They didn't go back to the land God had given them after the famine was over. I wonder if there were opportunities, promptings by God to do so that were ignored because they were comfortable at the time they were at. And just as a side note, it kind of reminds me of the first Christians. 
Jesus' command to them was, Go and preach the gospel to the nations. But instead, they were hanging out in Jerusalem where they were comfortable. It wasn't until the severe persecutions began under Nero in 64 AD that they really began to disperse. So over time, there were regime changes in Egypt, and rulers came to power that either didn't know or had no respect for who Joseph had been in the land in, of Egypt and began to oppress the Israelites. And this is recounted in Exodus chapter 1. It came to a point where they were slaves and oppressed. They cried out to God, and he answered. Even in their oppression, God blessed them. They were strong and had many children that thrived. And you have to keep in mind that infant, infant mortality was a big thing in that time. The Pharaoh was afraid of them and the possibility that they might rise up against him. So he commanded the midwives to kill all the male infants, but they refused. Just as God had preserved Joseph from death and gave him a place of prominence in the Pharaoh's court 400 years before, he preserved Moses and raised him up in the Pharaoh's own household. It reminds me of Psalms 23.5 that, that says, You prepare a, a place for me in the presence of my enemies. That is literally what happened. Moses was a prince of Egypt for the first 40 years of his life. He tried to work things out within the system. He was off in the wilderness for the next 40 years. God took him totally out of the system while he was preparing him and I think teaching Moses to hear his voice. When he was 80 years old, God told him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. 80 years old and God told him, now you're ready. Can you imagine? I think I would have said, don't you think you should send somebody else? Actually, Moses did. He said, I'm not a good speaker. I stutter. So God told him to take Aaron with him. When they finally went and presented God's command to the king, it was only after the travail of 10 plagues that Pharaoh would allow them to go. And as another side note, I read the book of Revelation the week leading up to Passover and it struck me that not only was Passover a foreshadowing of Jesus' death on the cross, but it also foreshadows the last trials and tribulations before he returns. There are parallels between the ten plagues of Egypt and the final judgments on earth listed in Revelation. So going back to the Passover and the exodus from Egypt, the final plague was the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn male in the land of Egypt would be killed. Only those households that had put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts would be spared when the angel of death passed through the land. God told Moses, This will be a new beginning for you. They were to begin their calendar from that month forward. Even though God had repeatedly showed his might and given warning after warning, Pharaoh refused to listen. But after the angel of death passed through, the grief was so great that Pharaoh practically forced them to leave. At first, he had to change a heart later. In Exodus 12, verses 3 through 11, God gave instructions to Moses for each household to select a lamb on the tenth of the month, the tenth of Nisan. In later times during the temple period, this was when the priest inspected the lamb for the Passover sacrifice. It was also on the 10th of Nisan that Jesus was interrogated, i.e. inspected by the religious leaders. Then on the 14th of Nisan, the lamb was slaughtered. It was eaten the same day, roasted by fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. He even told them how to eat, eat it in Exodus 12:11. 
Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They were to be ready to leave in a moment. Doesn't that verse remind you of how God tells us to prepare for each day in Ephesians six ten through 17 And also in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, where Jesus uses a parable of the virgins and the lamps and the importance of always being ready to always be prepared. That is how the first observance of Passover was done. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 23 through 50, God gave instructions to Moses and Aaron that it was to be observed every year. The celebration was only to be observed by Israelites, not foreigners. And this was a foreshadowing of the command that communion is only for believers. Each household was to have its own lamb. It wasn't to be carried between houses, which means we all have to have our own faith. And none of its bones were to be broken. This was another foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross as the Lamb of God, as well as the prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. Later, after Moses had received the law on Mount Sinai, God gave more specific instructions for not only Passover, but the other feasts of the Lord as well. Leviticus 23, 5-8 The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the fourteenth day of the first month. On the next day, the fifteenth day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. This festival to the Lord continues for seven days, and during that time the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, all the people must stop their ordinary work and observe an official day for holy assembly. For seven days you must present special gifts to the Lord. On the seventh day the people must again stop all their ordinary work to observe an official day for holy assembly. Also in Deuteronomy 16, 1-8 In honor of the Lord your God, celebrate the Passover each year in the early spring in the month of Abib, which that was the month in which the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Your Passover sacrifice may be either from the flock or the herd, and it must be sacrificed to the Lord your God at the designated place of worship, the place he chooses for his name to be honored. Eat it with bread made without yeast. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast, as when you escape from Egypt in such a hurry. Eat this bread, the bread of suffering, so that as long as you live you will remember the day you departed from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in any house throughout your land for those seven days. And when you sacrifice the Passover lamb on the evening of the first day, do not let any of the meat remain until the next morning. And as I'm reading this, I just realized that that was because Jesus' body wasn't, it wasn't there the next morning. When they came to go find it, it wasn't there, which is like totally awesome. So continuing in verse 5, you must not sacrifice a Passover in just any of the towns that the Lord your God is giving you. You must offer it only at the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Sacrifice it there in the evening as the sun goes down on the anniversary of your exodus from Egypt. Roast the land and eat it in the place the Lord your God chooses. Then you may go back to your tents the next morning. For the next six days you may not eat any bread made with yeast. On the seventh day proclaim another holy day in honor of the Lord your God, and no work may be done on that day. So these are the instructions God gave for Passover. Get your own lamb and roast it. No broken bones and no leftovers. 
have bitter herbs and unleavened bread with the lamb, and make sure the leaven is out of your household entirely for the seven days. The Jewish observance today is much different. After the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, when the Pesach sacrifice could no longer be offered in the Diaspora in 140 AD, elements were added to incorporate the memory both of the nation of Israel and specifically the temple. The current Seder, which means order, was actually established by Kabbalistic rabbis, drawing from the Mishnah and very various commentaries. And this is a quote from uh, Passover Haggadah for Pesach, a Q&A and detailed explanations. But the Passover Haggadah literary works and the Passover Seder rituals follow the practices of the Pumbadita and Surah Rabbinic Academies in Babylonia. The Babylonian practices concerning the Passover Haggadah literary components and the Passover Seder rituals were adapted by all the Jewish communities outside of Israel. This meant that the practices of the Israeli academies regarding the Passover Seder rituals and the Passover Haggadah literary components were superseded by the Babylonian academies. The Israeli academies differed from the Babylonian academies by missing omitting Passover Haggadah components number four through seven is outlined above and there I'm going to be reading in a little bit some of the other components that were added so the Haggadah is a Passover service it covers the story of the exodus and goes through the elements of the Seder plate and explains each in addition to the items listed in Deuteronomy and Leviticus the service is expanded to include Cheriset which is a sweet mixture commonly made of apples and cinnamon. This is to represent the mortar the Israelites used in the bricks. Carpus, a vegetable to dip into salt water, and the salt water represents tears. They don't actually have roast a lamb anymore, but they do will have a lamb bone on the plate to represent the Pesach sacrifice. And the hard-boiled egg is added to represent the festival sacrifice. And then they have four cups of wine representing the four expressions of deliverance promised by God in Exodus 6, 6-7. I will bring out, I will deliver, I will redeem, and I will take. And then three pieces of matzah, which is the unleavened bread. As you can see, there's most of the part of the Seder played used today is really doesn't have anything to do with the original instructions by God. They were an addition. In the original form, it was the bitter herbs and the matzah. And even the lamb is just represented by a bone as there, no, as there is no longer a temple to make the sacrifice. So even though the version of the Seder that was adopted by the Jewish community as a whole was established by a rabbinic school steeped in mysticism that com- was completely opposed to Christianity, if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you know that it just screams, screams out Jesus, particularly the use of the matzah. So there are three pieces of matzah bread. The middle one is broken, and part of it is, is hidden. After the meal and before the third cup of wine, the children at the Seder go to find it, and the one successful gets a prize. And this just those three pieces of matzah just illustrate the the Trinity, the one broken and hidden, and then when the finder gets it as a reward, it's such a clear illustration of Jesus. It's like, as much as one tries to ignore and avoid it, you can't get away from it. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one who was slain from the foundation of the world. And this is First Peter 1, 8-22. 
You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within, within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long ago before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. So thank you for joining me for this episode. And if if you would like the links to the resources I cited, you can get the article episode notes at raisetowalk.org slash p19. And now let's end with a prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your loving kindness for us that you planned all of this out before you even created the world and that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus as your precious lamb to die on the cross for us to atone for our sins and help us never to forget that and to remember the great sacrifice that he made and that the great promise that we can claim because of that sacrifice and help us to fully understand and recognize the depth of your love for us and just how much you have given us lord and i claim all this in the name of the lord jesus christ amen Thanks for listening to the Raised to Walk podcast. We'd love for you to continue to walk with us, so head over to raisedtowalk.org slash news to get free updates. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time. If you've been enjoying the Raised to Walk episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We also love to get feedback from our listeners, so tell us what you think by either rating or reviewing us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by sending us an email at contact at raisetowalk.org. We're excited to have you join us again next time for another episode of Raised to Walk.